Namaste, everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right, today's podcast is on the EWS reservation. So just to give everyone a brief background, this was around January 2019, where the BJP-led NDA government had passed uh, the 103rd Amendment, Amendment Act. And as per that amendment, the BJP had passed what is called the economically weaker sections reservation. This reservation was going to be 10% of seats in jobs and education for the economically weaker sections. Uh, uh, and who is EWS? From what I remember reading that amendment was people who are not eligible under the SC, ST and OBC reservation criteria legally. Uh, this was challenged uh, under the case which was called Janhit Abhiyan versus Union of India. And it was const held constitutionally valid by a five-member bench of the Supreme Court in a majority judgment that was three is to two. Uh, Nikhil and I had been going back and forth to discuss this very subject for a while now. So finally, we have agreed upon a time and Nikhil is back on the podcast to talk about it. Nikhil, welcome. और अभी अपने आप को अनम्यूट करते कुशल कैन यू हियर मी या या आई कैन हियर यू लाउड एंड क्लियर हाय थैंक्स फॉर हैविंग मी अगेन इंटरेस्टिंग इशू आई थिंक टू अ लॉट ऑफ पीपल दिस इज द काइंड ऑफ इशू व्हिच इज सॉर्ट ऑफ इट इज क्रेप्ड थ्रू पीपल हैव वेरियस इंटरप्रिटेशंस ऑफ इट but i think it needs a sort of deeper dive to understand exactly what has happened why it's happening uh and perhaps once they sort of recognize what is at play views might change somewhat uh because it is it is sort of a reiteration of the fact the indian state doesn't seem to be much more creative than coming up with reservations for providing its best possible legislative mechanism for uh, altering uh, the inequality within our society. Sorry, I'm just getting my documents together. Give me a moment and then we'll start. No, so, so first you will have to explain this. What do you mean by the Indian state feels only reservations are the way to deal with its subjects? Yeah, yeah. so just to go, just to go step by step. Uh, for the purposes of this discussion, let us distinguish the amendment and then the judgment that upholds the amendment. Because in my opinion, the real mischief is in the amendment and the judgment is only a consequential aspect of the fact that the amendment came into being. Uh, and it only reiterates certain powers that parliament possesses uh, and makes certain observations in relation to the structure for development, for economic rights, for uh, our sort of economic model per se in India uh, and sets them out in great detail in defense of the amendment, right? So I want to just first start by a very basic introduction to what lawyers commonly call as the Equality Code under the Constitution. And the Equality Code generally we look at consists of five articles and that's 14 15 16 17 and 18. for our purposes what matters most are 15 and 16 but as a basic introduction i've got this really funky uh pocket constitution which i love using 
which at first thought, thought I thought would be just too small lettering, but it's actually quite convenient. And so 14 is what intuitively any person would recognize as a right to equality, right? Because when you and I or any citizen or any normal thinking rational person thinks of equality, they think of what we in legal terms and constitutional terms refer to as formal equality. And that is treating all persons equally. Right? When you try to give effect to formal equality, you end up with certain requirements to alter formal equality in certain circumstances and certain contexts. Because if you do not make that alteration, the blanket imposition of formal equality, that is treating everybody equally, actually creates more inequality and perpetuates more inequality. Right? So 14 basically says, the state shall not deny on any deny to any person equality before the law or the equal protection of the law within the territory of India. Right? This is formal equality. That you will be treated equally. But it doesn't define what equality means per se. And notably, this relates to any person. So you don't have to be a citizen to obtain this right. And it's really, if you look at the equality provision in 14, it is a substantive right. It is a negative right in the sense of you cannot be unequally treated by the state. There is no positive right saying you will be treated in this manner. It is really just a right that says the state cannot treat you unequally. So it is really a limitation on state power. All fundamental rights in that sense are limitation on state power. But certain fundamental rights actually confer a particular thing. So we've often spoken of the freedom of speech and expression in our podcast. That confers a certain right. So this is a different kind of language. This is a negative right. I didn't want to sort of dwell on this too much, positive versus negative rights, because that becomes too philosophical a discussion, and maybe that's for another time. But once you decide that equality before the law is an imperative, then you have to come to what equality actually means in your value system. And this, the commencement of that definition starts at Article 15. And the interesting thing with Article 14, 15, and 16 is that they have been amended quite significantly over a period of time. 14 has not. But 15 and 16 have seen a substantial amount of amendment. When the Constitution was first passed, right, 15, the heading of 15 is prohibition of discrimination on grounds of religion, race, caste, sex, or place of birth. Right? These are these set out certain immutable characteristics about an individual on the basis of which there cannot be any discrimination. This was the prevailing standard of constitutionalism in 1950 when our constitution was passed. Obviously, the constitution is a more dynamic document than, say, a normal statute and is therefore subject to the sort of amendments that bring it in line with more current thinking over periods of time. And your politics also evolved. Let's be clear that your politics of Socialism, naturally, in my opinion, naturally, in my opinion, evolved into the politics of Samajwad. And Samajwad started to take root in the 60s and 70s, in fact. And so substantial amendments were needed at that time to start bringing all of this in line. But of course, the big push came with Mandal Commission in the late, late, late 80s. But that, that amendment in the late 80s, right, 
and the panchayati raj amendments of the mid 80s under rajiv gandhi's tenure needed a substantial political movement that predates those amendments by 10 to 15 20 years so you had the political movements of jayaprakash narayan and other charan singh and other such luminaries and you eventually end up with that being expressed within the constitution which to me is a very healthy amendment procedure you and i may not always like these amendments right but that really is to say that we don't like the politics underlying tough luck frankly tough luck yeah, because the politics just for the record nikhil mandal commission was constituted under the jayaprakash narayan government in 1979 uska uh, recommendations ki jo bolte hain um, jo karna eventually english ka word hi bhul gaya bol usko marathi mein amal bajav nahi bolte abhi mere ko english ka word nahi yaad aa raha uska it's execution or execution, it's implementation haan. इम्प्लीमेंटेशन देख मेरी क्या हालत है बोल मराठी का वर्ड याद था <laughs> अब ना so, मेरे को यू शुड स्टार्ट मराठी और हिंदी उसके लॉज और रिकमेंडेशन जो बनने का प्रोसीजर था वो लेट एटीज में हुआ था Anyway, yep, 15, Article 15, as I read to you, will first say the state shall not discriminate against any citizen on the grounds of only of race, religion, race, caste, sex, place of birth, or any of them, right? And then 15.2 said no citizen shall, on the grounds of only of religion, race, so and so on and so forth, be subject to any disability, liability, restriction, or condition with regard to access to shops, public restaurants, hotels, and places of public entertainment. or the use of wells tanks bathing ghats roads and places of public resort maintained wholly or partly out of state funds or dedicated to the use of the general public nothing in this article shall prevent the state from making any special provision for women and children right so you you notice that these are very particularized uh public spaces for the indian context right we specifically talk about wells and tanks because wells is still a problem upper caste wells in you have this concept of upper caste wells in 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 rural india at times where if a dalit were to come and take water from there that that that's the ground for war pretty much within that society right so these are very particularized very well thought out very well crafted knowing full well what the consequences are right but you will note that the article ends at sub clause 3 today the article has sub clauses 4 sub clauses 5 sub clauses 4 5 and 6 154 and 155 have come prior 156 is the first leg of this 103rd amendment right then you have article 16 and article 16, 16 says prohibition of discrimination on grounds of religion race caste sex or place of birth sorry uh, 16 equality of opportunity in matters of public employment this was something very specific why did we have a specific clause related to public employment there are several reasons for this the first reason is that the deprivations of caste meant that a substantial part of your population was always removed from being rulers and i don't mean rulers only in the sense of royalty 
because there you really don't have an option whoever wins the war becomes the ruler and they will pick whoever wants to be whoever they want to be in charge simple as that but prior to independence we had had our experiment over a few decades with some nascent form of democracy which kept rising and rising and it became clearer and clearer that democracy was going to be the only form of government we were going to take because we'd had the 1935 government of india act we'd had governments in various provinces we'd had elections they had their own administrations and as far back as 1890 the concept of represent, representation of depressed classes started to take root in our more progressive princely states and for example in mysore and kolhapur etc uh since you spoke of amog shahuji was one of the first ones in 1890s to produce to uh, pass a law that says that there will be reservation in public administration for what were referred to at that time as depressed classes now how you define these classes that need needed more attunement right that is where mandal commission and other commissions come in they define this more narrowly and more sharply who are depressed classes otherwise anybody will come and say there's a benefit i'm also depressed class person it would have become like life is nowadays right everybody is running to say i'm depressed uh so 16 was on matters of public employment the other reason why it was necessary was so much of the employment was actually public employment at the start there was effectively under nehruvian economic policy to a degree i wouldn't put it all on nehru by the way because i think nehru did in fact have a very clear conjoint private public model but even having a conjoint model meant that certain aspects of private enterprise were effectively gutted he gutted certain markets he gutted certain industries so that there could be a monopoly for the public sector right and so this indian states impulse of being the teat on which all shall suckle starts all the way from independence yes and self sufficiency goes out the window now not only have you created the jobs now you're saying i'm going to pick who gets these jobs so you can imagine the power in the hands of the state and in the politician that i can make your life i can make your life out of nothing i can change everything for you and what that power meant that there was greater and greater entrenchment of these ideas right anyway 16 as it stood at that time <clears throat> said there shall be equality of opportunity for all citizens in matters relating to public employment or appointment to any office under the state now if i look at just this clause that would mean everybody should be able to write an exam everybody should be able to be interviewed but within them we are able to sort out who we want who we don't want and therefore this would have been a clause of what we classically call equality of opportunity only and not of outcome right no citizen shall on grounds of only religion blah 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 residents or in part of be ineligible for or discriminated against in respect of any employment or office under the state and the state is empowered to uh, in regard to a class or classes of employment or appointment to an office any state specified in the first schedule or any local or other authority within its territory any requirement as to residence that meant that you could still have domicile laws because you were while you were a centralized uh polity you were still some elements of federalism i mean if people are interested 
generally in reading about how federalism gets classified, there is a guy called Ivo Dukacek who set out a barometer for how federal, how various societies, how various constitutions are examined on a federalism scale. So uh, you may want to read those and you'll find that India falls somewhere in the middle, a little less than halfway federalized because it is too centralized. But there are other, America is certainly much more federalized. The former CIS, the, the, the Commonwealth of, of uh, Independent Soviet States, if you remember, that was formed before all these states broke up, was highly federalized. Right? Nothing in this section, article shall prevent the state from making any provision for the reservation of appointment or post in favor of any backward class of citizens, which in the opinion of the state is not adequately represented in the services under the state. Now, this is the first mention of the concept of reservation. And so the first mention of concept of reservation comes under Article 16.4 in relation only to public employment. It does not use the word caste. It uses the word backward class. Okay. Over time, we come to represent class being almost synonymous with caste. And that happens with the Mandal Commission. Because we find in our experience over those 30, 40 years of independence, that backwardness is synonymous with caste. And backwardness in that understanding is not limited merely to an economic criteria. Backwardness is a much more, much more bouquet idea. It has various elements to it. It is deprivation, historic deprivation. It is uh, deprivation of access to any and everything. For example, all those things I mentioned in, in relation to Article 15. Uh, the uh, incapacity to ever be in a position of rule. Incapacity of access to education. Uh, you may be a Brahman, you may be poor, but you may not suffer those incapacities. You may be a Kshatriya, you may be poor, but you do not suffer those incapacities. Same with a Vaishya. Same with any other uh, upper caste, upper caste or upper subcaste. Right? This is how we understood it. So the first mention of reservation is here. Now, what, are, what do these articles look like after that? 15.3 was your last, last sub-article sub in Article 15. You then got 15.4, which said nothing in this clause or article, or article, nothing in this article or clause 2 of Article 29 shall prevent the state from making any special provision for the advancement of any socially and educationally backward classes of citizens or for the scheduled castes and scheduled tribes. Right? Nothing in this article or Article 1 of Article 19 shall prevent the state from making uh, Article, sorry, Article 19.1G shall prevent the state from, which is freedom of trade, shall make any special, uh, shall prevent the state from making any special provision by law for advancement of, again, this clause, socially and educationally backward. Okay? Classes of citizens for the scheduled class or scheduled tribes insofar as such special provisions relate to their admission to educational institutions. This came first. That then gets added to including private educational institutions, whether aided or unaided by the state, other than minority educational institutions. That clause comes in the end. Well, the minority exclusion comes. So you, you cannot apply this to madrasas, for example. But these two articles then 
create enabling provisions in the hands of the state to create reservation in educational institutions for very specific groups. You have to be socially and educationally backward, scheduled caste or scheduled. Right? And what happens in 16 is something similar. Article 16 then gets subsections 4A, 4B, sub articles 4A, 4B, and 5. And this becomes a bit of, you know, these, these battles have arisen over time. 4A says you can make provision for reservation matters of promotion. So first was public employment in any event existed. Now even for promotion, you can have reservations with consequential seniority to any class or classes of posts in the under the state in favor of scheduled castes or scheduled tribes. Right? Now you will note this does not use the word socially and educationally backward or socially and economically backward. This says straight scheduled castes and scheduled tribes. Or B then says, in this article, nothing in this article to prevent the state from considering any unfilled vacancies of a year which are reserved for being filled up in that year in accordance with the, these become very specific things that used to arise because you would have unfilled seats. So what it says is you will not be prevented from considering any unfilled vacancies of a year which are reserved for being filled up in that year in accordance with any provision for reservation made under clause 404A as a separate class of vacancies. So Purani as a separate class of vacancies to be filled in any succeeding year or year. So Purani jo khali rege, unko bhi aap abhi bhar sakte ho. And such classes of vacancies shall not be considered together with the vacancies of the year in which they are being filled up for determining the ceiling of 50% reservation on total number of vacancies of that year. What does this mean? Too many concepts coming in because what I'm throwing to you are actually a huge number of amendments that keep coming to 14, to 15 and 16, right? And what it indicates, if there are two articles that have been amended most frequently as individual articles, it is these two. And that is because the thrust of our politics has been these two. So it is only fair that there is, there is maximum amount of amendment in these provisions. Yeah, these two pretty right? much are the social justice articles. They are, they are, along, read along with certain DPSPs, which are directive principles of state policy. But directive principles of state policy are not enforceable. They are only meant to color the rights that arise within the, the within part three of the constitution. Right? So, it, this, this gets, it almost reads like, Eki bar mein article aage, ek bar mein article nahi aaya piece by piece cheeze thi. So There were a huge number of amendments. I'm forgetting the exact number to 14, to 15 and 16, but there were a huge number of amendments to 15. And then clause five, nothing in this article shall affect the operation of any law which provides that the incumbent of an office in connection with the affairs of any religious or denomination institution or any member of the governing body thereof shall be a particular, shall be a person or a particular, shall be a person professing a particular religion or belonging to a particular denomination. You could add, as per this, appoint a Muslim Mahant in a Hindu temple. Right? But more importantly, you could move away from the traditional denominations that ran temples and appoint fresh people. There was just no bar. But why does this become important? Why am I reading these amendments? I'm reading these amendments in the context of the case that I'm going to review for you. Because what I'm trying to show is that you have an equality code when things start. But it is not sacros sacrosanct. It is open to evolution as the politics evolves. 
So you can keep adding new clauses. You can keep adding new aspects of equality as your politics dictates. Right? And so nothing uh, is set in not, stone. Not just your politics, na, Nikhil. Even as your social realities evolve in a country where you realize there are lacunas, the it could not just be politics. The interpreter of social realities is your politics. Because your politics is what imbues your parliament. The interpreter of your social realities to the extreme sense is then parliament. Because parliament then reduces it to the one enforceable thing by which that social reality becomes enforceable, which is the law. And they do it in this case to the highest level of the law, which is the constitutional law. Right? Now, this is how it stood till this 103rd Amendment comes in 2019. So what does the 103rd Amendment do? The 103rd Amendment then says, in 15.6, remember 15.3 at the start, it now comes to 15.6. 4 and 5 have been multiply amended in between. And now 6 comes and says, nothing in this article or, sub or article 19.1g or clause 29.2 shall prevent the state from making any special provision for the advancement of any economically weaker sections of citizens other than the classes mentioned in 4 and 5. Very important clause. Please understand something. You will not find the word section used in this way in the prior reading of these articles. right? I'm doing first principles right now. Michelle. I'm not even going into the larger lectures. People should know what your constitution says. right? I had read to you that you had to be socially and educationally backward classes at one point in time. Right? You have now replaced the word classes with the word sections. I will leave it to the imagination of the viewers for a bit as to what kind of deliberative change that can create for legislation going forward. And the important second clause of this particular thing that I read to you was other than classes mentioned in four and five. So you are now allowed to make a law for the advancement of weaker sections, but those weaker sections are the ones that are not already covered, which you very pithily and correctly stated at in your introduction. Everything but you exclude SCSTs and OBCs, and whoever else has got reservation under 14, 4, under 15, 4, 15, 5, 16, 4, 16, 5. You exclude those people, and you can now make a fresh law for those who are excluded as long as they're economically weaker. Any special provision for the advancement of any economically weaker sections of citizens other than the classes mentioned in 14, five, uh, in clauses 4 and 5, insofar as such special provisions relate to their admission to educational institutions, including private educational institutions, whether aided or unaided, other than the minority educational institutions referred to in clause 1 of article 30, which in the case of reservation would be an addition to the existing, which in the case of reservation, which in the case of reservation would be in addition to the existing reservations and subject to a maximum of 10% of the total seats. So this is over and above what already exists under 15.4 and 15.5. Right? Yeah, so basically 50% and above. That's right. But where do you get 50% from? Well, 27% was something or the, that sort was SCST, right? No, no, no. Those are those are outcomes. The Constitution never said fifty percent at any point in time. I will come to how hmm. those fifty percent arrives. Wo to unhone population dekh ke apna tuka mar diya hoga aur kya? No, no, no. There's a conceptual reason. There's a conceptual reason. 
by 50% became the norm. Okay. And that becomes a very important argument in the course of uh, in the course of the case as it played out. Now there's an explanation which says economically weaker sections shall be such as may be notified by the state from time to time on the basis of family income and other indicators of social economic disadvantage. The way they have done it is they have literally said economically weaker is anybody who's earning annually less than 8, eight lakh rupees. Now, 8 lakhs is not a small amount. 8 lakhs 65,000 a month. Even if a family is earning 65,000 a month, you may not be able to go to the best schools, but you can educate your children. You know? Now, 16.6. Nothing in this article shall prevent the state from making any provision for the reservation of appointments or posts in favor of economic legal section. So, you've seen 15 becomes the article in which you do reservations for education. 16 becomes the article in which you make reservations for public employment. So, you brought them into public employment again as well. Again, 10% and again, over and above everything that is already existing. Where they say, in addition to the existing reservation and subject to a maximum of 10% of the posts. Right? 17 and 18, I had told you, are also part of the Equality Code. They're not necessary for this discussion, but just for people's knowledge. 17 is abolition of untouchability. 18 is a, a abolition of titles. So you cannot be Sir Ravindra Jadeja as much as we'd like to call him Sir Ravindra Jadeja. Those titles have been abolished. Right, so this is the lay of the land of the principal legislative provisions as they stood before this case arrives. Right Now, when I read this, please assume that every single amendment that I've read, every single subclause that I've read is a reflection of the prevailing politics in one in one situation or the other. And in particular, a number of amendments come when the Samajwadi idea takes root within central government. And that really happens with VP Singh's assent. Right? Hmm. It does occur before, but VP Singh makes a big push. Then you get Chandrasekhar. Then I, I get... think it's not just Samajwadi idea. Samajwadi idea with caste-based political parties. A combination of both. So Samajwad today is really about caste-based political parties, right? I mean, today that's how we understand it. That's the broad sense in which I use it. But I accept your point that Samajwad was a, was actually an elimination of caste idea. But it now becomes a tool for consociated representation of caste power. What do I mean by those words? I mean, you're a smart guy. What do I mean by those words? I'm asking you. Well, I'm just trying to look, think about it. Well, Samajwad believes in equality and Indian Samajwad twists us into equality of outcomes and for equality of outcomes. It's not so, so when, I, when, I say when I say consociated uh, power of castes, of representative castes, what I mean by that is consociationalism is a governance model which... So consociationalism is something that people should get comfortable with because you'll find this in a lot of constitutionalism across the world. And that really is a test of how much power sharing do you have within groups in India, 
in any in any democracy right so the south african constitution is a consociated constitution the lebanon constitution the lebanon entire legal structure is highly consociated people may not know this lebanon operates only on proportional quotas everybody gets a little bit right depending on the power depending on your numbers depending on whatever criteria they set up that is one aspect of consociationism now this theory was first propounded if i'm not mistaken by a norwegian scholar in the 60s uh, late 60s to sort of come to terms with the fact that after uh, colonialism ended and new states appeared for the first time in the 40s and the 50s right how are they surviving so there's a very famous uh, american political scientist i'm forgetting his name right now uh, is it bud selig who had said basically 60s will be india's last decade india cannot survive the 60s it's too diverse to wo to ulrik ki baat kar raha hai na jisne bola tha bahut population hai aur wo mar jayenge wo wali baat kar raha hai overpopulation wale ki kyunki bahut sare log india mar jayegi ko predict karte hain nahi this was a particular political scientist who said there are just too many power centers within indian society it cannot survive as a democracy and this goes back to a very old debate between lord acton and john mckeens but one had said that for democracy to thrive and survive it has to be a monoethnic society in a multi ethnic society it can't survive the opposite argument was in fact in multi ethnic societies are a reality they exist and for them to in fact survive democracy is the only route taking from that argument the idea of consociationism was created so in 60s this idea comes the same theoretician in the 90s is writing an article or late 90s early 2000s writing an article saying how consociationism attempts to explain india because they were like how the heck did these guys survive here? we were single party power single party rule so they basically did an analysis saying the congress party had become in effect like a parliament and so it was representing so many groups that it became this consociated reality and this is the same polit- political messaging they try to present today basically group rights versus individual rights consociationism jo main samjhau puts the primacy of the group before the individual Long well, it doesn't. Short. It doesn't put the primacy of the group necessarily. It doesn't put the primacy of the group. It talks about decision-making power. Those groups could get together and put the individual at primacy. It could say those groups could get together and say, for all of us, free speech is so imperative that we're going to make this as strong as possible, right? Or property is so imperative we're going to make this as strong as possible, right? But how we went about it was we started to dilute property as a right. That's what led to the basic structure. cases that's what led to i mean the problem kushal is when you start getting me flowing on all of this stuff right i will go into 25 deviations because i've read a lot about this stuff and it's so interesting and then it starts jumping into every aspect of the constitution so let me bring it all back and narrow it down to what we're doing today right because otherwise the lecture wali chalti rahegi hmm now a constitutional challenge is raised to article 156 and to article 166 uh and you had correctly re- said that this comes from the janhit abhiyan which is a organization right but essentially as i
mandate representing SCST rights. In the, the interesting is that with the issue of a 10% quota, it is actually upper caste who suffer the most. Or what you call the general category candidates who suffer the most. But they didn't approach court. And I think a part of that is the political messaging within the general category persons in general that economic quotas are a good thing. Without understanding the implication of the legislative constitutional architecture, not even legislative, constitutional architecture that's been put in place now. And I, I emphasize that because amending the constitution to take things out that you have given is much harder than repealing a law. You need a very strong government with huge numbers. A, that. B, even within that government and within that political movement, there cannot be a lack of concurrence. Otherwise, in an attempt of that sort, you might lose your hegemony. So if you ever listen to Prime Minister Modi's speeches, he is absolutely adamant that reservations are going nowhere. And he wants that message to go across to everybody. Right? Now, there is a theory. And I don't know how credible this is. But because it's out there, I will place it to you. That 15, 5, 15 6 and 16, 6 have been brought in as something of a uh, an appeasement measure to forward caste to undo the large-scale political damage that was caused by the amendments to the SCST Act, which made uh, the provision of the SCST Act even more stringent. I don't want to go into those provisions today because they don't pertain to me. But I'm just trying to explain that what is the what is the politics behind all of this? Because this is really what happens with these things is that they can be a little bit they can be a little bit uh, deceptive. They are framed as economic measures, but really they are reflective of the politics. And the econ the economic measure doesn't really proceed to any great utility through these measures per se. Anyway, this arrives to court. Sorry? Why? Why, because, why don't the economic why? measures... Because what is your public employment rate today? Public employment, public, public sector is not the greatest employee today, right? First and foremost. Public sector is also not the greatest educator today. And, you're, and you are generally bringing in these reservations on a mass scale at secondary and tertiary education. You're not focusing on primary education. Your high school graduate today is unemployable for anything that is not a hand-based skill. That's your reality. And that's the problem that they keep trying to fight and circumvent. That's my analysis, by the way, by bringing in these things. We have not focused enough on, on anything called primary, not primary healthcare, not primary uh, education, not primary employment means, you know, not, not first principles on anything. We've not really focused on these things. Anyway, as things stood, I, so, I read 15.6, to you. I gave you a basic history of what our reservations have been. They've been directed at SCSTs uh, and then eventually OBCs. 
was backward because classes could be redefined as they were mentioned in Article 15 and Article 16. Right. So as classes and classes were redefined, you included OBCs within that. Hmm. These amendments also came. This was one of the great Arjun Singh amendments. People remember when OBC reservation came in a big way. Right. But the idea was that these are contiguous reservations. Maybe it is true that SCs and STs are the most deprived classes, but OBCs were also deemed to be deprived classes. And so while there may be a matter of degree within, within them of deprivation, they are in essence a similar kind of reservation. And that is why they fit perfectly well with each, with each other in 15.4 and 5 where they sort of enmesh. Right? And what you get then is when, when you get this particular amendment, 15.5, 15, 15.6, 15, 16.6, 16, which is 103rd amendment, which is from now onwards, I'm going to call it the EWS amendment. When your EWS amendment arrives, it makes a clear statement of objects and reasons. Statements of objects and reasons are generally useful to read because they tell you the intent behind the law that is being made although they are very nascently used as interpretative tools. You know, you basically look at the language of the statute as it stands, or language of the amendment as it stands, and interpret that. But they said, at present, the economically weaker sections of citizens have largely remained ex excluded from attending higher education. So now no, please look at this. Economically weaker sections. Mark that word, sections. We've gone from classes to sections, right? And keep that distinction in mind because I'm going to make a point about this towards the end. Have largely remained excluded from attending the higher educational institutions and public employment on account of their financial incapacity to compete with the persons who are economically more privileged. Please mark again, financial incapacity. When it comes to SCSTs, when it comes to OBCs, there is social and economic backwardness that is a completely different context which was considered a suitable exception to the idea of equality this is now a different concept this is pure financial incapacity the benefits of existing reservations under clause 4 and 5 of article 15 and 16 and clause 4 of article 16 are generally unavailable to them unless they meet the specific criteria of social and educational backwardness. So the objects and reasons themselves admit that this concept of economically weaker section is distinct from social and educational backwardness. You've created a new class of reservation. That's an admission in paragraph one. The directive principles of state policy contained in article 46. This is very, very important. 46 is used as the linchpin to justify everything. That is a directive principle of state policy. I'll read that next. Of the constitution enjoins that the state shall promote with special care the educational and economic interests of the weaker sections of the people, and in particular the scheduled caste, scheduled tribes, and shall protect them from social injustice and all forms of exploitation. Why the constitution amendment, 93rd amendment act of 2005, clause 5 was inserted in article 15, which enables the state to make a special provision of the advancement of any socially and educationally backward classes of citizens of others SCs and STs in relation to their admission in higher education. Similarly, clause 4 of article 16 on the constitution enables the state to make special provision for the reservation of appointments 
or posts in favor of any backward classes of citizens. Again, backward class, the word class it keeps appearing. However, economically weaker sections now of citizens were not eligible for the benefit of reservation with the view to fulfill the mandate of 46 and to ensure that economically weaker sections of citizens get a fair chance of receiving higher education. Sorry. And participation in employment in the services of the state, it has been decided to amend the constitution of India. Now, this section versus class thing is a very important thing. When you define a class, right, a backward class, or scheduled castes and scheduled tribes, you are able to more closely identify a population that has a similar characteristics of birth-based caste deprivation because of which they have been denied access to various basic public facilities within Indian society. I read about wells and tanks and things like that, for example, right? But not just that, educational institutions, they've never been in ruling capacity, so on and so forth. But now you're talking about economically weaker sections and you say you are excluding the other ones who have already received reservation. You are now starting to say sections because you cannot identify a class. These are not, this is not a stable class because the characteristic is not immutable. And I go back to that word financial capacity, incapacity. Financial incapacity is a temporary concept for most people. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can alleviate your financial incapacity. Some who had great financial incapacity may fall into financial incapacity. So, so, so just just to clarify, so what you're saying is when you are in an immutable characteristic, your uh, um, your generation on generation problems, uh, pro the probabilities of your generation on generation problems lingering on are higher than uh, than a financial correct. incapacity. That is correct, but that's an inference. I'm not on the inference. I'm right now on the concept. The concept is a class in relation to immutable characteristic is identifiable on day one and it doesn't alter. Right? If you're born a Dalit, you're born a Dalit. If you're born a scheduled tribe, you're born a scheduled tribe. The class may be added to, but when it is added, it is immediately identifiable. Economically weaker sections is a slightly different concept. People move in, people move out. People move in, people move out. Somebody may tip over that 8 lakh limit. Somebody may fall into the 8 lakh limit. Right? That may be perhaps because of your good decisions or bad decisions. But suddenly you have to be given the benefit. And why am I raising it in this way? Because this is the primary ground of challenge. Right? This sections versus class divide. So, <clears throat> having read this bit to you, just to explain this, I now come to that very important document that I just printed, where I've got basically the submissions made by your petitioners, right? These are what I culled out from reading. There are five judges and there are four judgments. And three independently written judgments by Justice Maheshwari, Justice Bela Trivedi and Justice Pardiwala are majority judgments in this. The minority judgment is written by uh, Justice Ravindra Bhatt with the Chief Justice at that time, who is your who demitted office recently, 
you you lalit concurring very rare chief justice doesn't write a judgment of his right but i can appreciate that because justice ravindra bhat is is a master of the craft he's a he's a top level analyst he's an absolute master of the craft uh now what happens is i will take you through what the principal arguments were and i would tell people that if you want to go read this judgment you'll find it's about 340 pages long out of which about 130 odd pages are only the judgment of justice maheshwari because i think he does the best job on the majority side of culling everything out putting it together and really delivering the full reasoning on which this particular amendment is upheld right and then you have to read along with that the minority judgment of justice ravindra and so there are three principal arguments that are raised in summary these arguments are making of special provisions including reservation in education and employment on the basis of economic criteria alone because now you're making it that word again financial incapacity economically weaker sections so econo economic criteria alone is entirely impermissible and offends the basic structure of the constitution why the basic structure because this is a constitutional amendment and parliament has primacy in the field of constitutional amendment making the only way by which a, the supreme court can strike down a constitutional amendment is not to say that we don't like it or we think it might offend some provision of the constitution they have to say even if it offends the provision of the constitution it must travel so far so as to offend the basic structure of the constitution because parliament has the power to make even contradictory amendments because it envisions that certain certain uh, amendments that existed prior or certain provisions that existed prior need tweaking in fact need wholesale tweaking as long as that wholesale tweaking doesn't completely alter the framework of how you view your constitution right that's step 1 step 2 <clears throat> second that in any case exclusion of socially and educationally backward classes that is sc sts and non creamy layer obcs from the benefit of these special provisions for ews is inexplicably discriminatory and destroys the basic structure of the constitution those provisions where i said those who have received reservation under 154 and 155 and 164 and 165 will not receive reservation under 156 and 166 right they say you cannot exclude them if you exclude them then this is discrimination of an impermissible nature under the constitution so much so so and it is so uh, inviolable a nature of, of discrimination that it is violative of the basic structure third that providing for 10% additional reservation directly breaches the 50% ceiling of reservations already settled by decisions of this court and hence results in unacceptable abrogation of the equality code which again destroys, uh, destroys the basic structure of the constitution this is an argument i would actually think upper caste or general caste would raise, general category people would raise that you now actually taken this beyond 50% right first i'm going to give you a quick summary that first argument that economic basis cannot be the sole criteria of setting up a reservation basis that particular argument is rejected 5 nil that is not a minority problem there is no 3 2 there all five judges or therefore all four judgments concur that you can set up a separate basis a fresh basis which is purely on economic criteria right the second argument 
that you cannot exclude SCSTs from this. This is the only basis on which a minority judgment arises. So the basis of the minority judgment is to say, I'm striking down the law because you've excluded SCSTs from this particular amendment. And having held that there is a basis for striking down the law, the third question they do not answer in the minority judgment, which is, can you breach the 50% barrier? But they do make certain very important observations in relation to that. However, the majority judgment, the three majority judgments, answer in favor of the state on all these counts. So they say you can have a you can have a separate economic basis, you can exclude SCSTs from this particular thing, and three that you can uh, that this can be additional reservation over and above the fifty percent. So to flesh out the argument of what the petitioners were saying, what what is the reasoning to say that you can never have economic criteria? A lot of this I've already covered in the way I introduced this topic to you, right? In the way in which I read 15, 4, 16, uh, articles 15 and 16 and explained this difference between classes and sections. But I'm going to go through a few of these more important arguments that arise, right? The constitution puts forth social and educational backwardness and not social or educational backwardness as criterion to determine positive discrimination in favor of a class, right? The argument therefore being that the EWS quota recipients do not possess social backwardness. They possess only educational backwardness. But the criteria set up in Article 15 was social, socially and educationally backward. So it's a twin condition and you cannot divorce those conditions. That's the argument. This foundation of social justice for historically marginalized and disabled people is completely obliterated by the obliterated by the amendment in question, which removes that criterion. It is argued that backward class include those classes from the forward class that was socially and educationally backward and it's making them eligible for benefits of reservation. So you may be born to a forward caste or class, but the way we actually operationalize Article 15.4 and 16.4, you are already covered. That is what they try and say. You are effectively already covered because you end up with a commission that is set up under Article 340. That commission sets up 22 separate criteria for identifying what would be a socially and educationally backward class. What happens then is you are not at that moment in time saying you are limited to SCs or STs. You are saying only classes of persons. And classes can then become castes, jatis, varnas. And it doesn't matter whether they are forward or backward castes. Because what happens is you are only looking at the social and, and education backwardness. So you already have this benefit coming. That's what they, was argue, they were arguing. So the example they gave was that there are numerous communities traditionally belonged to the so-called forward class in several states and several of those are not professing any religion but are recognized as OBC on the ground that they are socially and educationally backward. This is why, for example, you see battle after battle, state after state, we need to be declared an OBC. Yeah, Marathas, Gujars. For example, yeah, right. Jarts. When, when most people look at these look at those classes, those communities, they say you guys are for. You have had asset control historically. You have had territorial control historically. You have had social control historically. You cannot, as a jat, for example, claim social and educational backwardness to fit under this criteria or to fit under the OBC, while at the same time saying, we are going to preserve our Khap Panchayats. Boss, if you are preserving your Khap Panchayats, that means you have had uh, control over governance, local governance. 
you have not been backward not been backward in that but what i'm trying to do kushal is to flesh out these words and give them more meaning because otherwise they just become words that are repeated in loop but this is how you mm. look at backwardness right and the problem that happens for most people when they look at this concept of backwardness is they don't know what it means this is what it means right so this argument is raised first then <clears throat> the purpose of positive discrimination is to put put an end to monopoly of certain classes and create an inclusive society so as to ensure equality of opportunity to the marginalized section however the amendment in question creates a perpetual monopoly by providing reservation to that section of the population whose identification is imprecise i already made that point to you that you can flow in and out of a financially weaker section right but on a socially and educationally backward class you are identifiable at birth now you may be creamy layer that's a different matter but you are identifiable mm. right reservation to that section of population whose identification is impre- and is based on their individual traits more so when these classes have been enjoying or still enjoying control over resources and public employment this now this may be a contestable fact the problem that happens in these writ arguments in the supreme court is there will be a number of people i'm telling you if you if you have a map i saw the map the other day on twitter i didn't want to produce it here today because i don't know how accurate it is but it seemed to suggest that overall what we call as forward castes would be about 30 35% of the entire country's population 30.7 is what that map said but each state has different percentages maharashtra has as high as 45% of forward castes as per that map i'm not trying to say that i have done this evaluation myself or that there is an imprimatur to all of this from the census of india and or there may be i am not aware but a state like tamil nadu had as low as 3.75 andhra had a very abysmally low percentage karnataka had a rather low percentage right so what this argument is trying to say is you are still enjoying control over resources and public employment whereas somebody in tamil nadu can probably turn around and say look that's not been the case for us for decades now somebody in andhra could say the same that's not been the case for us for decades now in fact it is obcs who have generally held power in andhra both physical power as well as by physical power i mean actual street power and by virtue of that political power right so let's sort of look at whatever light you'd like then and this is a very important point financial incapacity is different from economic backwardness because the former is a transient feature of the lives of specific individuals i mean i think it's a beautifully worded argument and the principal lead counsel for the petitioners in this was professor mohan gopal uh who otherwise is not a lawyer but i'm quite certain should be appointed as senior advocate sometime in the near future uh and he has studied all of this all his life from the world bank from the judicial commission in india in fact lesser known story he was director of national law school when i was there when i was graduating and the odd thing was that you know he had very strong ideas very creative man but law students at that age are not amenable to that kind of strength and that kind of push down so there was a lot of opposition to him and eventually after we had graduated i think the next batch of the batch after that he left in a half uh but a very creative man a very uh, original thinking man 
right? So this is, I, I think, is a wonderfully framed argument. And so I'll repeat it again. Financial incapacity is different from economic backwardness. What he's trying to say is economic backwardness is the kind of termite, kind of demuck that gets into your system that doesn't allow you to move forward come what may. Whereas financial incapacity is a transient feature of your individual life. And by individual life, what he's again trying to point out is that you again obliterated, obliterated the concept of a class. These are not a class of persons. These are individuals who have unfortunate circumstances from time to time. Either you come out, for example, in this amendment and say, we are going to look at ES classes as a sort of people who have for, say, generations been economically backward. Yeah, just for the record, this is the state-wise breakup of OBCs, SCs, and STs in India. This is the breakup. I mean, I, it's hard for me to read. Uh, Maharashtra has the highest number of OBCs in India. OBCs. No, no, but what is this? Uske baad, uh, uske baad, this is per capita us, numbers. But, nahin, matla, basically, number of uh, castes no, or uh, Odisha has 200. And uh, when it comes to SCs, Karnataka, I think, is number one in terms no, of no, no. This, this, this table doesn't give you the full info. This table doesn't give you the info I'm, I'm talking about. It gives you a raw data on a number, but the, it will not give you a proportionate data as to each other. Right? In any event, that argument is a minor argument, so we leave that aside for a moment. Next to backwardness is sine qua non and the linchpin of special provision of reservation. Backwardness was designed as a qualifying phrase to ensure that exception does not eat the rule. These were B. R. Ambedkar's words. We're choosing the word backwardness very specifically, right? What used to be the old concept of depressed classes became backward classes. So the argument is that equality is the sine qua non principle. Reservation is the exception, and in that exception, we have said the only way you go around that principle of equality is because of this backwardness problem and nothing else. There should be no other head under which you actually accept any other argument. Right? <clears throat> the next argument was a newly and newly protected class under the amendment in question lacks historic and continuing lack of adequate representation caused by structural or institutional barriers so as to be eligible for positive discrimination. Further, the reservation is intended to be operative only until there is inadequacy in representation of those classes and not in perpetuity. I think that's quite self-explanatory. Like I was saying, this amendment today, perhaps they will do it through better mechanisms in the way they make rules in relation to this, but they will be seeking to identify classes of people within, classes now I use the word, within that economically backward section who have historically been poor. So, एक और मैं तेरे को दिखा देता हूँ ये थोड़ा फजी है मगर ये financial express में आया था basically distribution of persons age 16 to 40 potential beneficiaries of 10% quota across states इसमें Maharashtra and West Bengal and Uttar Pradesh Gujarat Assam Bihar Bihar Madhya Pradesh Rajasthan AP and others are 30% so these are the major states that are going to be beneficiaries so of this. this. So keep this, keep this stat at some point. I'll come back to this because an argument I think is raised wrongly by the petitioners in relation to this. It's a statistical argument that was raised and was not eventually, the court didn't even deem it necessary to deal with it, but at least we'll be able to offset it. Then they said, despite being aware of the rampant poverty in the country, 
the focus of reservations was predominantly on the social stigma attached to the group. Reservations and public employment was given because the framers wanted the backward classes to share state power. And for that matter, they had to be provided equal opportunity. So to that end, Kushal, you could very easily in any amendment split educational reservation and public employment reservation. And say mm -hmm. EWS must definitely go to educational reservation because you want to give equality of opportunity. But your your caste per se is not deprived in public employment. It is not deprived mm -hmm. as a ruling power. They could have made that distinction. They chose not to in the amendment. Right? The assembly intended to extend the benefits of affirmative action to only those socially and educationally backward groups who have been excluded from mainstream national life due to historic injustice, stigma, and discrimination, and thus bringing in any other criteria, excluding the communities who have suffered such stigmatization would be a blatant violation of not only the Equality Code, but also the very principles of democracy, both of which form part of the basic structure. Why are they pinning this argument so high? Because they can't simply say this does not comport with our equality provisions. They must say this destroys our constitution in some way. Mm. That you bring in this particular amendment and you effectively destroyed what existed earlier. And for this reason, for the government, it was very important to say, we are not reducing what exists. Mm. And therefore, the argument comes saying, but how can you cross 50%? And the answer by the government eventually is, but 50% is limited to 15 for 16 for. If we set up something new, which is a vertical reservation, we can. And that sounds like a smart argument to make today, but contemplate the dangers of that argument. That mm. argument opens the gateway to proportional quotas tomorrow. I know a lot of people don't get this. There's one anonymous account on Twitter who a lot of people are very critical of, but I think he analyzes some of this stuff very well. And I've been interacting with him quite a bit. He keeps changing his name, so I can't even give you the name of the account. I think he's trying to avoid being banned, but I think it shouldn't worry now because Elon Musk is in charge. But they do a lot of good analysis on this. Now, a lot of other good thinkers on this subject, and I mean, I can only relate to you the law, right? But there are people who watch these trends of reservations. Who is getting through? What is happening to the marks? Who's being deprived? You know, those statistical arguments will have to come from someone who's done that kind of observation in a much deeper way. And there are a few people that I've seen, and their work is very interesting. But, you know, I don't take anybody's statistical analysis honestly at face value. Because I know how much error happens in India. Right? Under Article 340, the Backward Classes Commission laid down 22 parameters for the identification of a backward class. The amendment in question does not have any such machinery. You economically weaker section. explanation that from time to time notify But basis? identify because this is a highly refined area of legal thought in this country. Courts have repeatedly said, in judgment after judgment, from Indrasani downwards, you can have reservations, but who gets the benefit? You're going to narrowly tailor that. And you're going to identify quite clearly what the backwardness of that particular group is. And so you must have parameters. And 22 parameters, therefore, historically get evolved by the Backward Class Commission. You hmm. are now setting up a new criteria how are you being so nascent in your description of who will fit, who will not? And that nascency, therefore, eliminates the idea of equality as we have already had before, which was that otherwise formal equality, but if not formal equality, then this kind of substantive equality, but that has to be very particularized.
you have chosen a much less granular notion of equality, substantive equality. That's the argument. <clears throat> now, to this, to the particular graph you just put up, an argument has been made by at least two councils. By the way, when I'm reading this, this is not just the arguments of Professor Mohan Gopal. There were a number of councils who made represent, uh, made arguments on behalf of the petitioners. I'm combining mm -hmm. those arguments. I'm not individually attributing arguments to separate council. Right? Mm -hmm. One of the arguments made was relying upon the census report, the population who would fall under the EWS would be a 5%. And providing 10% of reservation for such a small population, more so to the forward class, is manifestly arbitrary and a fraud on the constitution. And this fraud on the constitution is a very important argument. It originates from one of the older cases called NM Thomas versus the state of Kerala, where the idea was that if you exercise the constitutional power in a manner which actually defeats the power itself or defeats the purpose of the constitution, that amounts to a fraud on the constitution. So if you mm -hmm. are now exercising this power to empower a group that don't otherwise merit empowerment, right, then you are creating a fraud on the constitution. Now, these are 5%. You have the statistics, it will not be 5%, it will be much more. In which case, this argument that 10% you have given, is more than the whole target group, this argument is wrong. Right? There's a very important argument made. And this one counsel I'll name, her name is Diya Kapoor, really, really smart. What she says is you cannot use reservations for poverty alleviation. You have a subsidy mechanism that is for poverty alleviation. Reservations are all about representation. And if you do choose it for poverty alleviation, what kind of alleviation are you actually exercising? That's my comment. Because the amount of space that you will occupy for poverty alleviation is actually quite small. It's, it's not that many seats in educational institutions. It's not, not that much employment in public sector. That you are alleviating poverty to a huge economic class somewhere or the other. You're not. You're manifestly not. Right? Mm -hmm. If that is the case, then why can't this amendment, and this is a critical comment I'll give to you, tomorrow on the same basis, on the same logic, be extended to the private sector? To say our intent was poverty alleviation, we have identified economically weaker sections. So we must be able to extend it to you as well. They have anyway gone into these quotas for private unaided educational institutions. That is as private as you get. That is all your money being used to run a private institution, educational institution, subject to all kinds of reservation. Mm -hmm. Quotas, not affirmative action. Outright quotas are enforced. So what keeps with this logic being accepted by the uh, with, with the with the counter logic to this argument being accepted by the court? What keeps Parliament at bay from doing it a private sector tomorrow? See, you will not always be in power, Pushpa. So you may mm -hmm. feel that this amendment today is narrowly tailored by a group of people that you have faith in, but tomorrow you may not be in power. Somebody else may be in power. Uh, I just just to yeah uh, yeah. You photo dekhi thi, wo India in pixels ki dekhi thi, kya? I have no idea. Jisme, Maharashtra, 45% general and Perhaps. open category. Haan, wo, wo, I think that number is slightly uh, slightly off. They use socialjustice.nic.in. I don't know how they got their numbers because I've been looking at the numbers right now. So Maharashtra, the, the population 
if you look at the cast uh, cast breakup general cast in maharashtra is 32.4% and uh, west bengal these are the two big states in india that have a huge uh, general category population outside of honestly, uttar pradesh honestly this is this is quite an immaterial point to a larger point that i'm making my my podcast today is more on the conceptual elements how many people get benefited they don't that doesn't matter because even the judgment doesn't really care about 5% agi 10% it doesn't really sort of go well, in actually that. it does but because think, i'll tell you why i'll no, tell you why so it will be very so relevant for your follow up podcast no so ne- let me explain why so why this reservation may not be that effective in uh, let's say west bengal is in it where they have the number of uh, proportion of primary school students caste wise uh, i mean i can share the infographic it is in a times of india article west bengal has 55% of general category students so how much of this policy will help uh, west bengal is what i am yeah but you don't know 55% fall in ews right maybe perhaps only 20% of that 55% fall in ews in which case half that is a good them. point that is a good point so the another data that uh, is by the general category gk today uh, has shared the general category commission basically came up with this so the general category commission says 30% of general category people are illiterate uh and a significant percentage amongst that also lives below poverty line yes but then you have to ask yourself the question that is being raised in this exact argument whether it is poverty alleviation or alleviation of this kind of problem is reservation the answer again what is it relating to it is relating to an abject lack lack of state capacity when it comes to primary schools you're uneducated doesn't mean that you should get reservation in iit if you don't have enough primary schools where with all of this you can keep making these reservations but you just don't have enough schools you don't don't have enough quality schools your i mean i again i should have pulled out this report but a grade 5 or a grade 6 graduate from a government school in india doesn't know grade 2 maths you may graduate with a high school diploma you are not capable of sitting at a shop and even bean counting right and that is what distinguishes your developed economies because there when you survive when you get out of high school you're employable you're employable in several skills that's so the nub is there but the solution is separate completely distinct mm-hmm. anyway now the second big argument that i told you was 50% cannot be breached the short answer to 50% can't be breached is that that is first and foremost an argument that was accepted and created by the judiciary itself 50% did not find mention in the constitution at any point in time when it came in as an amendment it was because of the number of judgments that had been that had successfully applied that rule but you can say that over a period of time judgments become these principles become ossified because of the repetitive use of a concept right so over the past 60 years is submission made by gopal shankar narayan that over the past 60 years over 54 judgments have repeatedly stated that the 50% ceiling must be maintained but you have breached that 50% ceiling with this amendment to gain what i'm i'm not quite clear No, oh, but uh, uh, the, the the ceiling has been uh, breached in Tamil Nadu way before this judgment came. 
they have 69% reservation for how long uh, telangana or andhra pradesh also is dabbling with it yeah 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 so the, now and now jharkhand now other states also but they're doing it after this judgment the, the tamil nadu reservation is under challenge it will eventually be decided but there are a number of other judgments where on other criteria 50% was breached in the court brought it back down starting from the judgment in embalaji which predates the indrasani judgment they brought it down to 50% right in tamil nadu whatever you do your backward classes economically backward classes are substantially higher than possibly 69% the way you define them so unless you start defining out making these classes out of those categories because these are why are they called scheduled caste scheduled tribe because there is a schedule in the constitution in which this particular class is inserted as an effective amendment to the constitution therefore so until you start removing them you have the scheduled caste order the, the backward classes orders that are passed that you have added this you have added this so unless you can come start deleting a few your populations that are entitled to that reservation are actually much higher than 50% and what does this do this opens the door to why not a proportional quota now and why are they able to cross 50% in fact that is now answered in this judgment in order to support the state's contention that i can cross 50% the court turns around and says look this was only judge made law and in any event the exception was carved out that in exceptional circumstances you can cross 50% ye lo ji aapka tamil nadu bhi ab sanction ho gaya as long as they can provide the data to support their 69% hmm right <clears throat> there are some very smart arguments made on the way in which this is drafted which is that the expression in addition to which appears in 156 and 166 that in addition to the prior reservation means that you can only have an ews reservation if the in a circumstance in which the prior reservation exists what does that do that effectively means you have ossified all reservations and when you have ossified them now let me come to a very very important argument and very important understanding of what all of this was i'll come to it let me just complete a couple of arguments that this relationship this just the relating of these arguments right so this is your 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 essential set of arguments the last set of arguments was you cannot exclude sc st because they are also economically weaker how are you drawing a distinction between economically weaker forward caste and economically weaker backward caste hmm and calling that a valid distinction under indian constitutional law to the extent that this is why the basic structure because that backwardness you cannot take away from those caste right now what does the state say and this is where it gets very interesting the state says the preambular vision is to eliminate social economic and political inequalities their argument essentially proceeds on the basis that how we have treated it and they're not wrong in this at all because equality arguments keep coming up in so many different contexts right they come up in the context of public employment and education as we have discussed but also in land distribution they may come up in housing distribution they may come up in some other kind of dole of the state and you have repeatedly been accepting economically weaker as a better argument in those cases so for example for ration card that is an economically weaker argument for benefits under jam that's an economically weaker argument so the entire land constitutional landscape of what amounts to equality 
is actually always shifting ground. And because it's shifting ground, the petitioners cannot claim that they have identified a core set of clear basic structure principles against which they can test the amendment. In other words, and in simple terms, it is always, the, this is what I said at the start, it is always the politics that has understood this area of the law well, and it is the politics that bubbles over, gets into parliament, and it is that bubbling over of the politics into parliament that then translates into a constitutional amendment, and there have been an innumerable amount of them, and they have succeeded regularly in amending 15.5, 15.4 and 16.4, and 15.5 and 16.5 uh, in relation to your traditionally recognized economically and educationally backward classes or your SCSTs and OBCs. It's just that that same politics has now bubbled over, reached parliament, and now deals with forward cast and EWS. And let me be crystal clear about this. This is one of those amendments which was passed almost with total unanimity across houses. Right? But that is not an argument that the Supreme Court accepts to say that if there is total unanimity in both houses of parliament, then suddenly you are immune to a basic structure challenge. That doesn't arise. It's a different matter. They then say, and this is the interesting thing, I kept drawing the distinction between sections and class. They are effectively arguing that these are a distinguishable class. But they are never pinned down to say, how do you identify this class? It's a mobile, it's a, it's a, it's a fluid class as opposed to socially and economically, educationally backward. And a very interesting justification is given that what you saw in 15 that is your traditional backward classes reservation is an example of generational disadvantage being undone, right? But this is now an example of intersecting disadvantages being undone. And parliament per se has the power to do this. In the majority judgment, Justice Maheshwari first sets out a very narrow scope of the basic structure. And I just for, just for the knowledge that general knowledge of people. I wanted to read certain, not don't read, but just quickly introduce certain portions uh, of that analysis by him, because he very fairly finally gives credit to one Professor Dietrich Conrad. Now, people who have been reading about the basic structure will have heard of Conrad. But in true Indian traditional chepoing culture, we took an argument from a German philosopher and made it into our own, right? So when the first arguments in relation to basic structure, basic feature, etc., were raised, they were raised as early as the 50s. But at that time, the, the, the Supreme Court used to say, boss, you can't come up with this basic structure, basic feature rubbish. Okay, in very narrow circumstances, but today we have we don't see it. Right? But they didn't actually ever elucidate that we will accept the argument. And perhaps because they never saw an amendment that occasioned that kind of requirement. But that started to happen in the 60s. With the 60s and 70s, right, and this is a phrase you see now a lot, is a period of total conflict between judiciary and executive. 
these are indra's ears right indra has decided that jawaharlal nehru's idea of the economy doesn't go far enough doesn't go fast enough and she's got a different notion of how the economy must operate so what starts happening is in a series of cases first the privy privy purses of the old rulers are taken away that was a promise we made at the time of independence that whatever happens your privy purses will be maintained and that is why you are giving away your territory to us that is how india was made she breached that she said i'm sorry all these promises mean nothing now you're in a democratically elected country in under a constitution and these principles have to be complied with she first tried it and lost and lost to whom to madhav rao sindhya then she made an amendment to article 31 right so as to be able to take those privy purses without giving adequate compensation yeah sir commensurate compensation we have had judgments through the 70s that said now you can do a taking of land because they wanted to get rid of zamindari as long and it will be valid as long as compensation is not illusory right so we borrowed the concept of what was eminent domain in the us which precepted itself on giving due and just compensation at market rates for whatever a state may take and reduced it to saying the power of taking we are borrowing from that concept but the power of compensation we are willing to reduce to anything which is not illusory and this sounds you know, like a horses for courses approach jo ir pel diya it is it is and so this is also a horses for courses approach kushal what what we're reading about today right so in that period parliament would repeatedly try to amend and in uh, 1967 the famous judgment of nine judges or 11 judges ic goloknath there again they did not actually hold basic structure to be a core argument or a valid argument under indian constitution but they came very close right in fact they went so far as to say that part 3 can't be amended justice subarao in, in his judgment part 3 being the fundamental rights chapter that observation is then challenged by indira gandhi in 29th amendment onwards in which leads eventually to the kesavanand bharati case in 70 and in that judgment they accept the basic structure argument but they dilute the basic structure to say actually parliament can amend anything we can't today tell you what basic structure is yeah i remember anki ne bhi ye likha tha ki basic structure ek aisa hai ki basic structure is like your imagination jo banana hai bana do No, no. So it's not quite as simple as that. So, and uh, if it were that, then today they would not have failed before the Supreme Court in this judgment. You know, these are reasonable arguments. They could have very easily said, "Oh, yeah, I'll take this to be basic structure." So they're getting further and further away from what, from this sort of imaginary or very low standard of basic structure. It's a very high standard. In 1980, there's a judgment called Minerva Mills in which Indira Gandhi again has now passed certain amendments. that touch on almost every part of the constitution going so far as to say your basic structure argument your basic structure principle is rubbish they pass laws saying you can't decide what is an office for profit you cannot decide uh, adjudicate upon the election of the vice president the prime minister and the president you cannot uh, undo an amend constitutional amendment to which the supreme court says no we can we can you cannot pass amendments that effectively destroy the constitution itself that's the answer and minerva mills becomes the first judgment that actually gives some teeth 
to the concept of basic structure. Because while in Kesavananda Bharti, the petitioner wins the argument that basic structure exists, the petitioner loses that the amendment violates basic structure by a narrow majority, a majority of seven to six. But in Minerva Mills, they win. And several constitutional amendments are knocked back. Before that, certain other constitutional amendments are knocked back. So the 70s is a very, very interesting time of Indian judicial development. Right? Anyway, so these were the sort of first principles of basic structure. Uh, and now, this judgment is going to be important for whatever else it will be important. It will be an important judgment for what is the meaning of basic structure. Because they have to first say what is basic structure before they can turn around and say that these amendments are violative of basic structure. So that I'm not going to elaborate too much, but that you'll find an article in paragraph 39 of the of judgment of Justice Maheshwari. And he, he really does narrow it down. Uh, he narrows it down to say that there are the expression basic features and basic structure convey different meaning, even though the, even though many times they have been used interchangeably. It could reasonably be said that basic structure of the constitution is the sum total of its essential features. So you cannot pull out individual features and say suddenly that the constitution has been breached. Its, it's spirit has been breached. That has to be a larger argument. Uh, and so he says you can even amend part three. You can, mere violation of rule of equality does not violate the basic structure unless the violation is shocking, unconscionable, or un unscrupulous travesty of the quintessence of equal justice. If any constitutional amendment moderately abridges or alters the equality principles, it cannot be said to be a violation of the basic structure. This sets the ground for eventually saying mm -hmm. this particular amendment will stand muster. And how do they go about it? I told you the first argument that they reject is the argument that you can only have a basis of backwardness as the basis for... Uh, a constitutional uh, basis of reservation. They reject that saying equality has been a dynamic concept under the Indian constitution. And therefore, this is a new facet of that same equality. Social backwardness, to be more precise. Ex social, social backward. And educationally backward, that is in the context of 15. But backward classes per se is the larger concept. Class being the larger concept. <clears throat> then uh, he says that Reservations existed in India in the 19th century onwards. Uh, reverting to Article, it could at once be noticed, ah, this is a very important point. And this is a very, very crucial point of future politics. When I read 15 and 16 to you, 15.1 and 16.1 set up the general rule that you cannot discriminate. Right? And then they carve out two exceptions, saying the state can discriminate for certain purposes if it so desires. Yeah, but uh, don't you think you're you confusing between positive discrimination and negative that does discrimination? Not imply. So the language, that's right. 15.1 is, negative, is, is a negative right, which is you can never be discriminated against. But 15.4 and 16.4, and 15.5 and 16.5 are positive discrimination that the state will provide. And if the state chooses not to provide, it needn't provide. You cannot claim that you must provide. There can never be a mandamus that you have now released, for example, uh, a prospectus for entry into, say, tomorrow the IITs. I just take the example of the IITs. And you have eliminated all reservation. Right? You made it 100% general category. 
there can never be a mandamus from the Supreme Court saying you must enforce 15-4-16-4-15-5-16-5. And I raise this today because you now have a Chief Justice who perhaps has a different concept of all of this. Right? So let me just first read out to you what they actually said, which is the traditional law of the land, which has been existing forever and ever on 15-4-16-4-15-5-16-5. Which is... Reverting to Article 15 and 16, it could at once be noticed that the provisions concerning reservation are crafted carefully to be just enabling provisions. They were worded to confer no more than a discretionary power on the state. They did not cast a duty on the state to the effect that it must set apart such, such and such proportion of seats in educational institutions or of posts in government service by way of reservation. The provisions were written so as to obviate a challenge to the steps that the state may take to raise the downtrodden. However, they were as such not to confer a right on anyone. This is the key, key phrase. You do not get a right out of 15 4, 16 4, 15 5, 16 5. Right? But perhaps in the future, when the politics bubbles over, when you're starting to ossify reservations as your principal technique of redistribution and governance and of, of distributive justice, because distributive justice is a common running theme through these judgments, then perhaps you're going to turn around and say, in fact, it is a right. And that argument has been repeatedly made. It's not as if it's not been made. It's been attempted many times. They're just It's just that a time comes at which the argument starts to make more sense or the person arrives to whom the argument makes more sense. And in that context, uh, the current Chief Justice had made certain speeches, had made a speech, in fact, uh, where he defines merit as his understanding of merit. And, and that understanding of merit may, if I'm being very loose, uh, sort of tends to be very reflective of what people call woke ideology today. Right? So here's what he quoted. He said, Michael J. Sandel in his book, Tyranny of Merit, has noted that individuals with vast privilege can define their identity and success not as a consequence of their privilege, but because of their belief that they have earned it through their merit. Hiding behind such a narrow conception of merit only allows upper caste individuals to mask their obvious caste privilege. At the same time, it allows them to relegate the achievement of Dalits and other reserved classes as being a consequence of caste-based reservation afforded to them. The Supreme Court, through its judgment in BK Pavitra versus Union of India, however, has squarely rejected such a limited definition of merit. Instead, it articulated a broader definition which takes into account the accumulated caste privilege of the upper caste and the years of oppression suffered by the reserve caste. Reframing this definition has allowed the courts to approach the debate of reservation from a different point of view. And it also changes the conservation, uh, conversation surrounding reservations in public arena. Alas, it remains to be seen whether this can positively change the mindset of every individual, individual of the country as well. This is setting the stone, setting the stepping stone to say perhaps reservations need to be a right because otherwise... We are not able to compete with your definition of merit. Right? So when you pass these kind of amendments, when you when you pass these kind and you justify them on the grounds that you've chosen as the state, you may be opening up another door altogether. You will not always be in power. There will be other people who interpret your work. I just wanted to bring this to everyone's attention. And that's a, not that I'm saying anything. I, Justice Chandrachur is, in my opinion, generational judge. He's, he's an outstanding judge. But he does have certain notions and these notions are accepted by a large number of people in this country today let's not be shy about this right this idea that i just read is accepted by a large number of people in this country 
he may perhaps be saying that there is not enough unanimity to enforce this, but it is conceptually a stepping stone to say 15 4, 16 4, 15 5, 16 5 have to be elevated to the concept of a constitutional right and a duty cast upon the state. And so, therefore, have you, by bringing this EWS, in a sense, ossified reservations forever? Because what you have gone and done is given any court the power to say, look, you've given benefits to others also. You can now give to anyone and create proportional quotas. And once these quotas sit, even if you don't declare them to be a right, they're very difficult to pull back from. Right? This is the set of danger that this judgment opens up. Whereas a lot of people will turn around and say, oh, this might be the opening by which we can now move only to economic quotas. That's not happening. Your politics is not going in that direction. So don't be fooled by those notions. And if you, I mean, who am I to say this? The prime minister is unequivocal on this every, very, very regularly. Very regularly. And that is why even the design of this amendment was that otherwise there is a concept of vertical versus horizontal reservation. Vertical reservation is within that 100%, I'm taking another band and adding it on, which is this. 50 tha, mene das Whereas horizontal reservation is, vertical is SC, ST, OBC, now EWS. Horizontal is women. So in each of these reservation bands, these vertical bands, there will be horizontal band of this many women. This many women. women reservation nahi aati hai. That's right. You, you don't need to make it a vertical band. Right now, <clears throat> so it, I, I don't want to belabor the point too much, but they look at equality as a dynamic concept. They say so much so as that, that the sole economic, one of the arguments was you cannot use the sole economic criteria. Sole economic criteria has also been used. It has been used in many places. And there is nothing that excludes it today to the point of saying it would be a violation of the basic structure. So the state is protected on that count. To the argument that you have excluded SCSTs, the short answer from the majority judgment is, but we have not excluded you from that which you have already received. And because this is a vertical uh, reservation, that is another 10% is added on, in vertical reservation, by definition, there is a concept of exclusion. When you give vertical reservation to SCST, by definition, you're excluding everybody else. When you give vertical reservation to OBCs, to that category, by definition, excluding everybody else. So to say that somebody is being excluded in a vertical reservation slab is really nothing because that is what a vertical reservation slab is meant to do. Hmm. Right? So that's the answer that they gave to that proposition. To 50%, they say this was never sacrosanct. But it is sacrosanct to 15-4 and 16-4. That they have still maintained. That your reservation under SC, STs and other backward, that cannot exceed 50%. Except in really exceptional circumstances. Basically, so, reservation can increase 50%, but the SCST OBC cannot increase 50%. That's right. That's right. But this is not, you know, this is judge-made law. It can turn tomorrow. And finally, they say that exclusion of SCST OBC from EWS is a reasonable classification because already provided reservation. And this is a different class and exclusion is sine qua non of vertical reservation. EWS is another form of compensatory discrimination and hence exclusion is permitted. That really is the way in which the uh, majority judgment upholds the idea of this reservation, right? Justice Pardiwala, Justice Bela Trivedi add to this 
and they are quite hopeful in my opinion they look at this the, with slightly rose tinted glasses and they say this is the start of moving away from caste based reservations because they say a basic feature of our constitution is actually arriving at a casteless society that was in fact the original intent and the idea of reservations on based on caste was you bring the parity of ruling power and education to a level where now you can ceaselessly become a casteless society whereas what is the argument today that by keeping quotas you have made a caste based society right so the best intentions and all of that you know but they say that this amendment therefore may be the opening that we need to move towards a casteless society and therefore is protective now justice ravindra bhat disagrees agrees completely on the first point that you can have a separate economic criteria so that's five mil but he knocks it down on only one ground that you could not have excluded scsts from this there is no reasonable classification in his view between an economically weaker upper caste and an economically weaker sc and st when you create an economic criteria based vertical selection right that vertical selection must apply to all who are in that category so- so basically uh, even uh, the dissenting judge is not against this at a fundamental level so usko reservation se problem nahi hai that's right kisi ko bhi reservation se problem nahi hai that's right that from my end concludes an explanation of everything that i wanted to say in relation to this issue i i know this is of all the podcasts i know this is the most complicated one because the problem for most people in this country is that while they know how reservation and reservation they don't know how it is what the dynamic is of reservation hmm. but in in summary let me say this i find this to be a very dangerous amendment and at the start i had said let's dis- distinguish amendment and let's distinguish judgment judgment has to eventually follow that's fine judgment couldn't struck this down unless they were going to be particularly innovative but the amendment by you can you can phrase this with the niceties and the word salads that turn around and say we've kept 154 for uh, 50% for 154 and 164 and 155 and 165 but you have breached 50% that inviolability is now gone you have hey, made like, what if the government made, does this? you have converted classes into economically weaker section nahi meri baat sun to jo tune horizontal aur vertical ka bola agar what if jo 50% chunk hai usme agar government ne ye kar diya कि वहां पे अब इकोनॉमिकली वीकर सेक्शंस को पहले प्रेफरेंस दी जाएगी इवन अमंग्स एससीएसटी ओबीसी तब देन यू वुड हैव हैड अ प्रॉब्लम देन यू वुड देन यू वुड हैव हैड टू आइडेंटिफाई देम एज सोशली एंड एजुकेशनली बैकवर्ड क्लासेस एंड कम बैक टू द आर्गुमेंट दैट वाज मेड बाय द पिटिशनर्स दैट देयर आर अ नंबर ऑफ फॉरवर्ड कास्ट दैट डू फॉल विद इन दैट ग्रुप देन द प्रॉब्लम पॉलिटिकली फॉर द गवर्नमेंट वुड हैव बीन दैट द नंबर ऑफ पीपल दैट दे वांट टू रीच थ्रू दिस अमेंडमेंट दे कुड नॉट हैव रीच्ड because the majority opinion upholds in the way in which it upholds i just wanted to point out that the argument that this is essentially a forward caste quota is completely sidestepped they say we don't need to look at this anymore but if you read op-eds that oppose this amendment regular op-eds since the passage of this amendment that oppose this amendment they call it a forward caste quota and in political reality kushal is hard to argue that it is not caste quota it is a forward caste quota with a clear definition of creamy layer hmm what does that do that means you have now chosen reservation is your only model what happens to the way you want to define your state again 
your economic priorities how do you want to define them you are still not looking enough at public edu at, at primary education because if you were perhaps these problems don't arise in the same way you still made through various judgments in the supreme court and all this egalitarian jurisprudence in relation to education this forced egalitarian jurisprudence in relation to education which is the primary example of the best intentions ruining everything paving the road to hell you have made setting up of education institutions at the highest level very difficult it has to be by a law passed by parliament or by state that is a corrupt procedure in itself right so where do you stand eventually your education sector today is a mess you will find that intractable as always politicians are massive owners in these sectors so you keep coming up with the easiest political freebie i hope i i know you were kind of cynical about is there a point to be made on ews i hope i've been able to at least convince you that there is this needs examination and, and a lot of observation in the future because mera to personal stand on reservations has been always been clear ews and uh, obc i have never supported i have only supported scst or scst mein bhi i have always said ki ek criteria hona chahiye ki third generation ya fourth generation ke baad definitely dusre members of the scst community ko reservation deni chahiye aur there is enough data to show that scst reservation works as far as obc and baki jo cheeze hain पता नहीं मे बी अगर कंट्री को मंडल कमीशन को अवॉइड करना था तो पहले से ही एस सी और बाकी इकोनॉमिकली बैकवर्ड सेक्शंस इन ऑल कास्ट कर देते मगर ठीक है अब जो होना है होना है जो अभी इस देश की पॉलिटिक्स क्या है उसको तो कुछ कर नहीं सकते उसको तो मैं चेंज नहीं कर सकता और एक चीज पक्का है द रीजन वाई दीज पीपल ऑल रिफ्यूज द वुमेन्स रिजर्वेशन देख एज फार एज वुमेन्स रिजर्वेशन इज कंसर्न एट पंचायती लेवल एंड म्यूनसिपल लेवल दे डू हैव रिजर्व सीट्स फॉर वुमेन इन पॉलिटिक्स बट दैट्स नॉट इट आई एम टॉकिंग अबाउट द रिजर्वेशन इन द काइंड दैट इज देयर इन दीज इश्यूज वो तो है ही नहीं और वो कभी लाएंगे नहीं क्योंकि बहुत सारे मेल पॉलिटिशियंस है पार्लियामेंट में एंड दे डोंट वांट टू ब्रिंग इट दैट एग्जिस्ट्स एज अ हॉरिजॉन्टल स्लैब इसके लिए ना दे डोंट वांट दैट दे डोंट वांट दैट नो नो दैट एग्जिस्ट्स एज अ हॉरिजॉन्टल स्लैब नॉट एज अ वर्टिकल स्लैब हां मगर वो लाने नहीं देंगे ना जैसे 30% विमेन के लिए सीट्स पार्लियामेंट के लिए बोल रहे हैं ना नो नो सी प्लीज सेपरेट दोस अमेंड दोस रिजर्वेशंस दोस डू नॉट फॉल अंडर 1560 whether it is parliament or panchayati raj reservations those don't fall under 1516 i'm talking about 1516 under 1516 women's reservation comes as a horizontal slab but is insufficient yeah right so you've yeah. seen my critique of this as well i don't know if there are any questions we can move to those yeah ek question hai ye wala to answer kar diya kisi ne pucha tha can gender be the next criteria for reservation it already is obviously the member did not know that the person who has asked this question but theek hai no, ek, but, ek but lamba the right to say that it could be the next be the next vertical basis why not it could be the next vertical basis see today you've gone and said a nascent economic criteria is sufficient to establish a vertical basis for a fresh vertical basis for reservation then tomorrow you can turn around and say actually even within deprived classes or even under forward classes women are the most deprived so therefore they must be given a specific kind of reservation which has to be necessarily therefore a uh, vertical reservation right so this doesn't end you have basically emboldened a reservation policy so people who are celebrating this amendment you know they really have to ask themselves you know is is this just a blind sort of support of prime minister modi or are you really examining what is going on in terms of your 
economic, educational, and political structure here. Well, that is for them to answer. Those who support it, I, I, I was indifferent to EWS. Like reservations is something that it just exists. I can't do anything about it now. Uh, I know, but, just... but I, I hope, I hope during the course of this particular podcast, I've shown to you that indifference will not do. This is not something to be indifferent to because it may have opened a Pandora's box that didn't exist earlier. a uh, uh, an obc can take that 40% right so that scope starts to reduce so if you are celebrating this then please understand you're perhaps moving towards proportional quotas and that politics will come soon i promise you it will come soon and when that politics comes and when it starts taking root don't think you're going to have too much leadership in the country who is capable of of, of withstanding that i'm not worried about the court doing this by the way because the court also knows its limitations I'm more worried about politicians eventually doing this. Then you can, you know, examine it differently because in Lebanon this problem exists and nothing moves, nothing gets done. Hmm. Ek aur question tha. In the future, there could be there could come a situation where certain castes are not socially and politically backward, but they still continue to get reservations. Couldn't we challenge reservations then? May sound facetious. Please humor me. Ye kisi ne question no, 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 there's nothing facetious about it. Uh, but you, perhaps the question tends to suggest that you could challenge reservations per se as a policy. But you couldn't. What you could challenge is the benefit of reservation going to that particular class, that class, that particular group of people. And that happens frequently. That happens. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what next line of reservations? Kya hoga? Religion-based reservations? Minority reservations? Or what are Religion-based reservations are not easy to do. Not under your constitutional structure. There you might in fact have a basic structure problem. But you could start micromanaging what is an economically weaker section. You can start splitting those groups. You can start splitting and say, alright, the error that we made was we made this into a separate vertical, but we're combining everything and we're breaching 50. Hmm. Right. And with a redefined concept of merit, Kushal, listen, we are even in the US now. I don't know if you read this news, but there were certain high schools that withheld uh, some kind of science Olympiad scores hmm. because they they showed essentially, as always, Asians are better at sciences and maths. I know. Right? They withheld those scores. So these kind of interventions are in the minds of policymakers. This is the kind of thing that opens the door to it. Whereas what we should be pressing our leaders towards is what is the improvement you have made in primary education? Perhaps you don't need this reservation at the very top. First, what you need is the highest quality of primary education for everybody. Look, you and I went to the kind of school where the day we graduated from class 12, we were made to sit at a shop. We could count kitna andar aaya, kitna bahar gaya, kitna paisa din ka bana. Hmm. Right? We could. 
but there are kids who who majority of indian students who graduate even class 10th or 12th or 9th whatever it is in indian uh, schools they perhaps can't do that they're not employable even for that purpose you know so we've got more thinking to do about our educational system and maybe a little less stress on just reservations of everything because in the end if you're reserving you're reserving a crap possibly yeah but that that it it i don't know i don't agree with you entirely you're making it sound as a either or scenario the state can do this no, and work not. on improving the primary no, education no, no but they are treating as a either or scenario right once the priority exists that you can get your political benefits by doing the reservation why the hell should they do the hard yards because there's very little difference in the hard yards overall over a period of time hmm Well, it's not easy, but the state's priorities become stark based on what you, what kind of amendments you pass. Hmm. देखते चल अभी. I think these were the only questions I could see. Somebody had asked that what is the definition of social justice and social uh, equality. Well, in that case, I, 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 I mean, you clearly read the definition out uh, in the beginning of the discussion itself. So. that that was pretty much cleared but uh, anything else tujhe kuch nahi bolna hai to let's wrap it up no i i think i've made my point i don't know if i've been clear today because i know this is a difficult topic for people who are not otherwise exposed to this area i tried to break it down as well as i possibly could and try and explain it like what But it is a complicated area, and the the only thing that will emerge for people after this podcast episode is you'll have to read a lot more and a lot more. And uh, at first blush, the problem appear they don't seem because conceptually it all looks simple, and your life around you keeps moving on. But in a larger framework of what countries, where the country is going, where your policy is going, that perhaps needs a little bit more reflection. Yeah, fair enough. I agree with you. I mean, I've never been a supporter of, like I said, anything uh, beyond uh, SCST reservation. I believe uh, these criteria need to be defined better. But it's okay. What what can you do in India? It is what it is. And SCST reservation ka data hai. The paper clearly shows the work is there. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go and check out my previous podcast with uh, uh, Arvind Kumar. Uh, the the source material is also mentioned over there the studies are mentioned over there uh, we'll wrap today's discussion up as always you can follow uh, nikhil on twitter i've left his twitter handle in the description of the podcast and um, as far as i'm concerned please subscribe to the charvak podcast youtube channel like this video leave your comments but again this is a member driven channel so if you really want to support me please become a member of the charvak podcast because that's what helps me in having these kinds of discussions which may not be social media algorithm friendly but i still do them anyway because this is what matters far more than uh, bhoot preet and many other things in life so i'll leave you guys at that once again please become a member on fanmo youtube patreon or buy the merch or send your donations to zupi i'll see you guys next time until then namaste take care bye bye